Hello, we believe you've made a good choice about the use of your time. Here with us, with our Bibles open to Acts chapter 22. There will be two distinct parts to this study. First, Paul's defense before the Jewish people in Jerusalem. And second, Paul's claim of Roman citizenship against the threat of being beaten. We'll see that in verses 22 through 29. This will be the substance of our study time in this video, class content from the Laurel Heights Church of Christ for January 27, 2021. Four fast facts. Paul has recently arrived in Jerusalem. He knew that chains and persecution awaited him. His courage in these events derived from his faith. As chapter 22 begins, he has a rare opportunity to address a crowd of Jews in Jerusalem. Let's get started in Acts chapter 22, verses 1 through 21. Brothers and sisters, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them, in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet, and he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way, and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. 
for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So Paul begins this important speech to the Jewish people by giving the people his background. He was born in Tarsus, trained by Gamaliel, zealous for God in the way Pharisees were. Remember, this is about his early life before he became a Christian. So the zeal he had learned expressed itself as described in verse 4, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. Paul even gives evidence, identifies witnesses. There is not the least effort to conceal his past or to rewrite his history. The high priest and the elders could bear witness that Paul received letters or warrants to find Christians and take them to Jerusalem for punishment. Paul had played a role in the Jewish efforts to oppose and stop the work of Christians back before his conversion. And one day, as he tells the story to the Jewish people in Jerusalem, one day Paul is on one of these journeys to find and punish Christians when about noon something happened. Here he speaks concerning his conversion. Jesus Christ came to Paul on the road near Damascus, and the question for Paul was, Why are you persecuting me? Paul answered, Who are you? The response came, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you were persecuting. Paul's next question, what shall I do? Blinded by light, Paul was led to Damascus, where he was baptized by Ananias. The next part is about Paul's charge from God. I'm at verse 14. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him, both to everyone, of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. I want us to notice three things about the charge given to Paul from God through Ananias. He was to know God's will. It would be revealed to him. The second phrase in verse 14 we should not miss. To see the righteous one 
and to hear a voice from his mouth, that's Jesus. After Paul's visit with Ananias, he drops out of the historical narrative for a time. Galatians 1 speaks of this as about a three-year period into Arabia and Damascus before going back to Jerusalem. I believe Paul was being schooled and prepared for his work by Christ himself. He saw the righteous one and he heard a voice from his mouth. Here in Acts 22, the story picks up after that, verse 17, when I returned to Jerusalem. And here he fell into the trance, was told to leave Jerusalem. He left. Then, on the missionary journeys we have just completed. In those journeys, Paul was preaching mostly to the Gentiles. So that's Acts 22 verses 1 through 21. I will tell you or admit to you from my perspective the chronology of Paul's life in its exact form is not easy to line up. When I take the record in Acts and I factor in Paul's statements here and then I consult First and Second Corinthians and Galatians 1, it's difficult for me to sync all that up perfectly. I take comfort in the fact that on the judgment day, I don't believe the Lord will give me a pop quiz on chronology. The point of this narrative here is for us to know about the growing hostility toward Paul and his response of faith, his own words to the Jewish people describing what he was before and what he became his own words in Jerusalem as recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 22. I'm going to continue now in Acts chapter 22 at verse 22. Up to this word they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful? For you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and the, uh, that he had bound him. I'll continue verse 30. But on the next day, desiring to know the reason, the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priest and all the council to meet 
and he brought Paul down and set him before them. There may have been a trigger word back in verse 21. The last word, Gentiles. The hostility between Orthodox Pharisee-driven Judaism and the Gentiles remained fierce. To most of the Jews in Jerusalem, no matter that Paul had visited with the Lord and had been given a direct commission and was an inspired apostle, he went to Gentiles and did not require circumcision as a condition of salvation. Paul worked miracles. Paul accommodated himself to Jewish customs, as we observed in earlier studies. Paul did not have a hostile, violent attitude toward anyone. But he went to the Gentiles, and that was it, for the hard-leaning Jews who were aligned with the Pharisees. And so the cry went out from the crowd, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. The attitude was, if we do not like your religion, if we think you have said something against our religion or against our nation, and if you're going to Gentiles with a new message you claim the Lord gave you, why, our only response is you should die if I may use the expression, a holy war. Well, the dust flew into the air, and the tribune or commander saw the dust flying. He ordered that Paul be put back in the barracks. The plan was for Paul to be examined or interrogated by beating him. Verse 24, Paul appealed based on his Roman citizenship. You could not beat a Roman citizen just based on a mob or somebody suggesting that they dislike you, some group. It was not allowed to wring a confession out of a Roman citizen by giving him the third-degree methods that abandon all mercy. So as the chapter ends, Paul is released and preparation is made for a meeting before the Sanhedrin Council, the Supreme Court of the Jewish religion in Jerusalem, at that time. That's Acts chapter 22. In Burton Kaufman's commentaries, he has an interesting comment here. The despised word Gentiles was a red flag to those wild, savage bulls of hate. Such wild and bitter cries revealed a carnal lust for Paul's blood. Here was a shout for his immediate execution without the formality of a trial. Our takeaways. On certain limited occasions, it may be necessary for you to tell your story of conversion, but you should never expect people to be baptized because they heard your story. It is the story of Christ that needs to be heard. Let's talk about that a minute. As I said, there may be situations where you might want to tell your story of conversion. There could be circumstances where that would have some value. But let's carefully notice what Paul is doing here. 
according to verse 1, he's offering his defense. So this part here is not a sermon to convert. This is a speech to defend himself in hopes that he can continue to preach the gospel, the gospel being the message that would convert. That's the Greek term, apologia. That means you're responding to a charge or criticism. You're not telling people what to do to be saved. You are answering. You are responding to criticism or misunderstanding. So Paul is not speaking here to lead people to baptism. He's explaining his Jewish background and his conversion to Christ. True, the people heard a reference to Jesus as Lord, and there is Paul's example of being baptized, but this is more of a defense than an evangelistic sermon. I make that point because in modern religion, there is much emphasis on giving your testimony, standing before an audience and telling your own personal story of change. It is a popular approach in many churches. It has, in favor of it, human interest and emotion. And those who incorporate this testimonial approach in worship will sometimes give this example in Acts 22. But listening to someone's testimony doesn't save you. I can be in a building of a hundred people and listen to each one of them tell their story. That doesn't convert me. Only the gospel of Christ can do that. Let me say, Paul is not giving us an example of what to do in gospel meetings or worship assemblies. He's offering a defense of himself in hope that he can then preach the gospel to reach these people. Number two. Paul was not converted just by that experience on the road. He was converted by believing in Jesus Christ and being baptized. Now, here is another distinction that needs to be recognized. What happened to Paul on the road to Damascus is very interesting and dramatic, but it wasn't really a part of every conversion. And Paul wasn't really converted until... He heard, believed, and obeyed the gospel of Christ, being baptized to wash away his sins. See, in these conversion stories in Acts, the circumstances of each conversion differ. A variety of locations, different preachers, etc. What is constant is the message delivered and the conditions or terms of becoming a Christian. Paul's sins were not washed away until he was baptized. I picked up a commentary the other day and read a little concerning Acts chapter 22, and one writer said about Paul's conversion, he stopped being a saved Jew and became a saved Christian. He made it sound like there was this automatic smooth transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant with no real conversion, no definite choice or change. Apparently, this commentator had not considered, Paul said in 1 Timothy 1, formerly, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent. And also in 1 Timothy 1, he said, I am the chief of sinners. 
Paul was a sinner. He persecuted Christians. He was lost, not saved, until the day he responded to the gospel, being baptized for the remission of sins. He stopped being a saved Jew and became a saved Christian. He wasn't uh, a Philistine becoming a Christian. He was under the Old Testament covenant of God, entering the new covenant. And when did that happen? It wasn't automatic. It happened when he responded to the gospel. It is acceptable to claim your rights as a citizen. Don't do that violently, but it's acceptable through proper ways to claim your rights as a citizen. If you have paid for something, you have certain legitimate rights. There's nothing wrong with asserting or claiming those rights. In our country, we have certain rights guaranteed to us through the founding principles of the nation's existence and origin. There is no wrong done if we are in circumstances where we assert or claim those rights granted to us, not violently, but through the appropriate channels of grievance. That's a takeaway from the example of Paul here, claiming that his rights as a Roman citizen should be honored. Uncontrollable rage never serves justice well. We've seen this several times in Acts. The opposition, the unbelievers, become so agitated, they form an angry mob. They go into an uncontrollable rage. Never in any of these cases is justice served well. The riot, tear things up mentality, is not a righteous method for change. It is a method that has no good history to commend it to us. Christians ought to see that mob action, rage, physical violence, and contempt never accomplish any good purpose. We ought to make certain our zeal is properly directed. Righteous zeal, properly directed, Discipline by the word of God and self-control is not only all right, it's necessary. In what Luke reports to us about the Apostle Paul, we have examples of zeal with knowledge, truth with love, acceptable militants without violence. In these narratives, we are able to learn good tactics on the part of Paul the Apostle, bad tactics on the part of these unbelieving Jews. Then there is a significant expression in this section I want to talk about in verse 4. This way. Focus on that word way. This kind of language is often used in Acts. Let me give you a few examples. Acts 18.25, Apollos was taught the way of the Lord. Acts 19.9, some were speaking evil of the way. Acts 22.4, I persecuted the way. When Paul and the other evangelists and apostles talked to people about religion, being right with God, they never gave a number of options and varieties and 
alternate courses. They said there is one way. And this echoes what Jesus said when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Of course, this is what we need to say today when we talk to our friends who were scattered out in various religious places that are not according to what the New Testament says. Jesus is the way. And making the choice to take that way is urgent. Notice in verse 16, why tarriest thou? The old King James said, or the English Standard Version, why do you wait? When Paul spoke this defense, and on other occasions, we keep coming back to this truth, the gospel is for all on the same terms. Putting together everything Paul said, again, it is clear, Jews and Gentiles were equal in this sense. They both needed to come to God through Christ, and the terms were the same for everybody. Nothing was required of one that wasn't required of the other. Next time, we're going to be in Acts chapter 23, and that will come on the Lord's Day, January, uh, January, the day will be the 31st. Thank you.